0: You're listening to the Cycling Podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches.
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Femina. This month we're going to be looking back over all of the spring classics uh, that have been since we Last met, and it's delightful to be reunited with you Orla. Because, oh, no. um, oh, thanks, Rose. Me... Oh, sorry, Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just because. <laughs> well, what well, a
2: welcome! Bad, God. It's, all, a, it's, a it's all in how you say it, Rose. I understood <laughs> what you meant. I've been, I've been listening from afar. You been been beautiful of... ladies. I've not been able to join in the chat. I keep going to say something, and then I realise, oh, I'm listening like everybody else, right, in this conversation. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yeah. thank you for clarifying that all up. um because uh, yeah, me and Lizzie have obviously done a couple of uh, arrives we did Liège-Bastogne-Liège we did uh, Tour of Flanders and uh, Lizzie with Lionel the return of Lionel to women's cycling mm. did Paris-Roubaix um, so I feel like I've seen Lizzie I've heard I've heard her opinions heard on the races and I'm, her. I'm, not sure I'm, me. I'm not interested anymore <laughs> well it's lovely but to be so, together. I'm looking forward to hearing you know lovely i'm looking forward to hearing uh about your your opinions on the races and uh and how you found the season how you found the well it's been just an sd works um I've just steamroller it rolled it haven't they yeah
2: but, and we're gonna get into all of that aren't we because they have been i mean even by their standards which is remarkable <laughs> you know they come in with a pretty high bar already and and even though the peloton feels more varied and more substantial and with more winners or potential winners than ever before. Yet their dominance has been remarkable.
1: It says so much about them, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's absolutely incredible. Obviously, uh, no one needs to hear from Lizzie because we've all heard what her opinions are. Already uh, in all these races. Well, um, Orla, do you want to uh, start us off with your news roundup? So it's just going to be an incredibly long uh, list of results, isn't it? But um, I've really downplayed I've really not sold it, have I? But yeah, you got a lot to say. you got a lot to say. There's just been so
2: much Rhea saying, hasn't there? So I will, I will, for anyone who's missed any of the results, I will fire them your way. Because even as I was putting this together, I thought... Surely I've added a couple of races in. There haven't been that many races since last we spoke, but there have. And the brilliant thing is they have been amazing. So I'll fire through them first. Um, we're going to start off with Gen Vebelgem or Gen depending on how you say it, which was won by Marlon Rouser with Megan Yastrab in second and Micah Vanderdown in third. Of Flanders, then. I can't believe we're with Flanders. Like, that feels like a lifetime ago already. Anyway, Lotte Capecchi took the win there over her teammate, Damie Vollering, with Elisa Longoborghini in third. Then we had Paris Roubaix um, with Alison Jackson taking, probably, I don't think it's unfair to say, the most delightful win of the season so far Cassia Ragusa in second and Marta Tryon in third and I would say that's probably the most delightful podium and, and I'm not going that's not being I hope disrespectful to the podiums but just looking at those three faces were just remarkable we then had Brabant Sapile with Sylvia Persico of UAE taking the top step there Damie Vollering in second and Liana Lippert taking third for Movistar on to Amstel Gold and Ewell detect a bit of a theme through the Ardennes races because Demi Vollering took the win over Lotte Capecchi in second with Sheeran van Anroy of Trek in third onto Flesh Wallon. Demi once again at the top step, this time Liana Lippert in second and Gaia Reolini in third and Liege Baston-Liege was won once again by Demi Vollering with Elisa Longoborghini in second and Marlon Rouser in third. Now, um, we'll be going into what all of those results mean really but a few other little bits and pieces since last we spoke a lot of our listeners will probably know by now but the women's tour um in the uk hasn't been able to raise the necessary funds that they needed to put their race on this year and so they've had to take a hiatus at the very least anyway for 2023 they are hoping to be back with the race in 2024 so we can only hope for them they can turn their fortunes around there's two other little bits that i noticed just as i was scrolling through Uh, news recently that I thought were really interesting. One being, um, this is reported in Cycling News, which has said that there has been a Kopecky effect on young women cycling in Flanders. Four times more under-18s have registered with Flanders Cycling since 2020. Which I think is amazing and just worth a note because we talk about uh, the power of visibility and that seems to play it out. Another one I loved, Amber Nabon. Did you see this? She won the Pan American Time Trial Championship. At the age of 48 and for the fourth time which i think is just worth a mention in itself if not if only rather just so i can think maybe i'll achieve something still in my life yet but i probably would have had to been time trialling for 20 years by now but anyway um and in our final bit of news we have had um, a flurry really of mid-season transfers out of zaf cycling seven riders to date have now left the Spanish registered team. It all kicked off with the French champion Audrey Cordon Rigaud, um, who quit saying that they hadn't been paid or even had their expenses reimbursed in three months. She was picked up, thankfully, by Human Powered Health just in time for Paris Roubaix, her home uh, classic, if you like. Um, but The situation with that team are really quite dire. And we were talking before we came on air about a brilliantly comprehensive piece written by Joe Lindsay and the Escape Collective, just detailing everything that's been happening within that team. And he's gone to multiple sources, 10, I think, um, from within the team, the writers and the staff to get the lowdown as to what's been happening. But it ain't good. Maggie Coles Lister has also left Um, and they are now down to the minimum of just eight riders that's the bare minimum that they're allowed to have as a team and yet and yet and yet still being invited to certain races they had an invite to the Vuelta this week although as we go to recording we're not sure if that um will still go ahead but um you both have been doing a little bit of digging on this as well haven't you
1: well, um, Lizzie actually caught up with Audrey Cordon-Rago uh, at and Maggie Coles Lister at uh, Paris before the start at Paris Bay, didn't you, um, Lizzie? And uh, Audrey Cordon-Rago, of course, there with Human Powered Health because um, she's made a, a, a transfer over to them. Uh, Lizzie, give us a sense of what the kind of uh, well, you could, well, you be able to hear from the audio, um, kind of what the emotions are, but you know, give us a sense of what you you could tell on the ground there. Well, it's. Yes. Hard
3: to cast our minds back that far almost, but actually, with a few days to go almost, Audrey didn't know that she was going to be at Paris Roubaix. So she'd, it had been reported that she had, her and Lucy Journier had left surf cycling. um, And there was a bit of a problem around mid season transfers with the UCI. Um, The UCI actually allowed an exemption in this case um, in order for her to move to a women's world tour team before the the normal transfer period, which is July July the first, um, and it all happened very very quickly. That she uh, got the contract with uh, Human Powered Health, signed it, and was actually able to be at paris Bay. You know, she only sort of had the bike and the kit for a day. Um, amazingly, they managed to get the kit turned around with the tricolore jersey in time. But it was it was hugely emotional for her because she'd been on this massive roller coaster you know didn't think she was going to be racing for months and then suddenly was here and the biggest thing that it was very emotional for her former teammates so Audrey came into the sort of the paddock where you go to to sign on and there's a media zone and everybody's of course asking her a lot of questions um and she was quite emotional about it but but holding it together and then her ZAF teammates came in Mm -hmm. and everybody just burst into tears and oh It was just, I I don't even know really how to describe it, but it was, everybody was distraught because she was kind of the one that had got away and they were obviously all been through this together and clearly from everybody's reaction at the race, the situation that was still ongoing was not a good one. Um, And it kind of felt like the other riders just didn't know what they were going to do, and we'll hear from Maggie Cole's Lister as well in a moment. And she, she was not holding it together actually during the interviews. And um, I think she was being, she was being very robust and um, sort of trying to hold the party line. But since then, she's obviously left left the team along with um, Audrey cordon Rago, Michaela Drummond, Lucy Journier, Heidi Franz, Mariah Melling, and Lizzie Stannard. So Audrey and Lucy sort of caused an outflux of other riders and Audrey also said um, basically the standard of the team wasn't even it wasn't even good enough for what she would expect in a sort of national team um, there were so many things that that weren't up to scratch and if you read the the piece that all are referenced before in, um, in with the escape collective you'll you'll sort of see quite how
1: bad it was. Should we listen to the audio now Lizzie from um, so this is uh, first of all Audrey cordon uh, and then Maggie Coles-Lister.
4: To be honest, uh, I was not expecting to be at the start, so I just coming here, here like, just happy, feeling super lucky and just wanting to give my maximum with the opportunities I got to ride Roubaix. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to feel. I just feel mentally exhausted, I have to say, but... Um, my biggest wish is to just like bring the team to the best spot we can, we can have today. If it's with me, okay, if it's with someone else I would be super happy and I think we have a really good team to do it. So yeah, I'm just not asking too much questions to myself, I'm just like taking my bike, not looking at my bike, just trying to get the best settle, and and I'm just going. I think the support is the most important thing, like my family is there, my friends are there. And I know like all the public is uh, reaching my cause and uh, that's, that's to me, that's amazing. Like I see so many people screaming my name already and so many people around the camper telling me that I did a good choice and that I was uh, brave to do it. And uh, that's just pushed me on my, on my thoughts to yeah, just give the best of myself today and just being like the cyclist I know to be. Now I'm pretty sure I'm gonna do the tour uh, and it needs a big and good preparation, like mentally and physically. So now I'm just like, gonna focus on what's coming up with some nice races and uh, the first one will be the stage race in Tour de Bretagne, which is really nice for me at home and then uh, we're gonna have a good preparation for the tour and try to, to win the to win one stage there. That's gonna be the, the first goal after that. I mean, this is easily the biggest race of my career. There's a lot of emotion. Um, I'm really happy with my results so far this season and for my first season over in Europe. And so I have high expectations for myself, but at the same time, just really
3: gonna embrace this you can see there's a lot of emotion and especially you know seeing audrey here like really happy for her to found a home at a start but it, there's
4: a lot of factors to it yeah i gonna go back to the camper and take a few deep breaths and have some caffeine and uh just trying to put this aside as soon as the race starts and just
3: it's just four hours of absolute focus and when just focusing on every
1: moment of the race and not thinking about any of this until the end and it's yeah, I, I I know I have mental capacity to do that. Well, that second voice there was uh, Maggie Coles-Lister, who has uh, now left, and I believe doesn't doesn't have a team uh, currently. Lizzie, is that right? Yeah. So the three riders that have left and don't have a team: Maggie
3: Coles-Lister, Michaela Drummond, and Heidi Franz. Maray uh I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, um, has gone to Movistar. Lucy Journier to co High Tech's product co-op High Tech products. Um, Lizzie Stanard, to Israel Premier, Premier Tech and Audrey cordon rigo of course, to Human Powered Health. Um, so there are three riders in that team who've left who are currently homeless um, and seven, eight, eight riders still remaining. And so with eight riders being the minimum allowed for a continental team, everything is sort of hanging in the balance um, if somebody else leaves, leaves the team.
1: And we should say, of course, this is part of a, an ongoing saga because... Audrey Cordon Rigaud was originally going to be at B&B Hotels, which was a a team that I would... Well, whether you could say it collapsed or it just actually never materialised, that meant that there were a load of riders that were going to be in the B&B Hotel setup that were then looking for teams. So a lot of them um, ended up at at ZAF Cycling. So um, it's kind of difficult is a really difficult situation for these riders where they've continually had their kind of hopes dashed and had to find um, a new home and perhaps pin their hopes on on a, a team where they might already have a few question marks over it or you know a team that I mean South Cycling wouldn't be the kind of team regularly that you'd expect to see a champion like Audrey Cordon, Rigaud um, going to is it but it's isn't It's another uh, bad chapter, isn't it, all uh, uh, in terms of the state of the stability uh, of cycling, the business of cycling, isn't it? It's
2: just so depressing. And
1: it, it just shows how difficult it
2: is to establish and run a women's cycling team. And, and I think there has been maybe a bit of a fear, or maybe that's just my fear, but that women's cycling was seen as an easy way to own a sports club, a sports team. And it's an easy way in and you get big bang, for your buck in terms of the exposure that you might get, especially now with the Tour de France family and whatnot. We look at the likes of Paul Carr coming in and I remember speaking um, to the owner and he was very much giving me the vibes that he really actually wanted to own a men's cycling team and he couldn't afford it so he thought the women's cycling was an easier, cheaper way to do it. But it's really, really difficult and the problem is I just feel like we still don't have those safeguards in place for the riders and the teams. We don't have those checks, you know, and that Piece that we're talking about, a lot of the writers seem to have suggested that they were surprised, really, that Zaf had been given a license to begin with. What are these checks that are done? What are the financial guarantees that are given? You know, they talked about having a four million budget over a couple of years, but what's what's backing that up? You know, what where does that come from? Because that can't just disappear. And so I feel like we've moved on so much. With women's cycling of course we have and we've got to celebrate that but we've got to be really careful i don't even think this is about we get the likes of patrick lefebvre saying we're trying to grow the sport too quickly i don't really think it is that in this situation it's more that we're not being professional enough and i say we i mean the governing body really the uci is not treating this as seriously as it should be treated because if they were they would have learned from paul Carr. we would have learned from bnb just a few months ago and we wouldn't be in a position whereby riders have not been paid for months of racing. They've they've raced for months. They've had some of the biggest races in the calendar already.
3: I think I think part of it is with being a continental team, the checks are different to being a world tour team, um, and there is so much more documentation that needs to be uh, given to the UCI if you're a world tour team. And with a continental team, that actually goes through the national federation. So um the bank guarantee is in a different place to if you're in a world tour team but there were definitely you know things at the beginning that uh were ringing alarm bells like it was private money there was there was no sort of um there was no trace of what the companies were online that were supporting these teams and it's when you see stuff like that and you don't have sort of sponsors that you can really identify it's definitely a warning sign, but none of these riders had a choice. They were in this dire situation when B and B hotels collapsed in December and they just simply didn't have anywhere else to go. You know, if the whole team collapses, then um there were some teams that took some of the riders, but everybody else pretty much went across to Zaf. And um yeah, unfortunately it turned out to be a bit of a disaster, to say the least. I
2: mean I get that the rules are different, and I get that it's down to the national federations, but the UCI still run the party. Yeah, you know, it's still it, they're still their rules. They they allow that to be the case, and that and it's still women's world tour races that these teams are invited to. You know, so maybe there's something through that. Then that, you know, you've got to pass a certain level of checks <laughs> before you're invited to a women's world tour. Have you paid your riders?
3: No, sorry, you don't get to come. <laughs> I'm being simplistic, obviously.
2: I'm being facetious.
3: I think that's what's shocking. It was, you know, already before Paris-Roubaix, it was known that they weren't being paid. And, you know, for the first couple of months, there were excuses going around. Um, but at Paris-Roubaix, you know, one of the biggest, well, the biggest one-day race on the calendar, it was very common knowledge that they weren't being paid. But since then, there's been a host of other women's world tour races. And yet they've still got, they've just been given an invite to it, Zulia, um and you just think why and it's a very difficult situation and people argue well you know if these riders aren't getting paid at least they can be getting seen but it can't be allowed it can't be allowed to happen it can't be allowed to happen otherwise it will just happen again
2: and also being seen got your contract they'd have another contract by now you know and i mean There are lots of industries where you have to work for free for exposure. It happens because generally it takes you somewhere. Yeah, they get to race, but if other teams were able to pick them up, they would have done by now, so now all they're doing is racing
0: for no money. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
5: This is Lionel interrupting the Cycling Podcast Feminine very briefly to say a big thank you and adieu to super sapiens who have been our title sponsors for the past two years they started in may 2021 and since then they've sponsored every single episode of our free to air output the regular show of course the cycling podcast feminine service course explore and the tour de Cosse, which i'm not sure i've mentioned this won an award recently at the sports podcast awards i've tried to keep it on the down low uh, but you know with news like that it's very hard to keep quiet and kilometer zero of course in fact, everything you've heard on the free feed has been sponsored by Super Sapiens and we wouldn't have been able to produce that content without their support. So we all want to say a very big thank you to everyone at Super Sapiens, but especially two of the company's founders, Phil Sutherland and Fitz Crowe, Crow, for their support of the Cycling Podcast over the past two years. The deal has come to an end and so we go our separate ways, but we will consider Super Sapiens friends of the podcast for life and we wish them every success in the future. We're certainly very grateful for what they've done for us over the past two seasons. If you want to find out about the Super Sapiens system of continuous glucose monitoring, the place to go is supersapiens.com. Do keep listening to the Super Sapiens podcast as well. Really well put together by Dr. David Littman and Zyla Van Vanek. And thank you very much, Super Sapiens. We shall meet again.
6: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot...
1: Well, uh, it's quite obvious what the overarching narrative of this Spring Classics uh, season has been, hasn't it? And it's just been S D Works dominating practically every single race, probably in a style that even they are not used to. I mean, they have been so dominant. Uh, Just to read out, I know all of you obviously listed our recent Spring Classics and all the results in the news roundup, but just as a as a overlook across the season so far. I mean, Omloop first and second, Stradabianchi first and second, Drenta first, Genvevoghen first, uh, Amstel first and second, uh, Flesh first, liege Baston liege first and third, and then on top of that, Noko Rekursa first and second, Priest first. I mean, it's just been um, winning, but also winning in numbers, hasn't it, Orla? That's what's been really,
2: really, really impressive with them because to, to put into context how difficult it is to get a podium one, two, if you look at any of the one day races, Trek are the only other team who've managed that in the whole of the season. And yet they've done it in the, in the women's world tier one day races, they've done it five times with two riders on the podium. And when they have two riders on the podium, one of them is on the top step, you know, and it's, that, and, and not only that, but it's the different combinations of riders that they've had. It's not just the same two dominating, you know, and it is just, it's just so incredible. And I think it's down to a number of things. Obviously, it's always down to a number of things. Um, the team are gelling very well together, but Damien has obviously taken a considerable step up this year from what was already a high level already. But her her delivery this year has been absolutely remarkable. But also we've got to note that Annemiek van Vleuten has so far not been the presence that we would have expected her to be. And by her own admission has not been as explosive. She doesn't feel as great, she says. And in her words, has transformed herself more into a stage racer rather than these one day races. But, you know, she took two of those wins last year and a couple of podiums along the way which may not sound like much considering the extent of the SE Works dominance, but that does play a factor. If you're not having to fight off and strategize around a very dangerous Annemiek van Vleuten, it does make a bit of a difference, I think. But um, Demi Vollering was on a Dutch talk show, I think it was last week, and it was really interesting what she was saying. I mean, it was interesting she's on a Dutch talk show anyway, you know, that's how mainstream cycling is in the Netherlands, I love it. But what she was saying was that before, um her problem was that she was afraid of losing she said in cycling we've got this thing whereby you've got to be prepared to lose in order to win and that in her head and and in her words has been the biggest shift for her this year she's been prepared to lose in order to win and she talks about going all in and she's gone all in for each one of her wins and she says it's worked for me you know that's how i've won i've gone all in And of course, with all of that comes confidence. You're not risking so much anymore when you've won as much as she has already. So I think there are a number of factors at play there. You both had said on the, or maybe, I can't remember which one of you said it, on the Liège-Bastogne-Liège-Arrivée, that I think it was you, Lizzie, saying that ST works maybe aren't as far ahead as it looks on paper. And I'm really curious about that because they are in practice at the minute almost unbeatable aren't they
3: yeah um it's interesting what you were saying about fear of losing because i think that some other teams still have mm. that um and instead of just doing their own tactics they're still kind of looking at sd works and there's a couple of particular examples actually both in uh in Pile, which actually is one of the races that one of the only races <laughs> yeah. that wasn't won by sd works and also in amstel gold because actually i think canyon shram is one of the biggest teams that is able to okay so Trek-Segafredo is probably the team that is really most able to contend but I think that Canyon-Sham is the team with the biggest sort of unrealized potential I'm not going to say untapped potential because I actually think that they've been racing very very well and I think that there were a couple of moments in both Brabant-Sapile and Amstel Gold where the same thing happened where, you know, one rider had done a, done an attack and I was just saying, okay, right, the other rider is just going to counter and going to go now. And actually, because they've got the numbers, they, they might pull this off. And the first rider went and then there was just this hesitation from the second rider and I was screaming at the television. I think that that is due to the hesitation of them thinking about other people's tactics rather than just focusing purely on their own tactics. If you are always like oh yeah but Demi Vollering's still there and she's not attacking you know if you've just got to completely go for your own tactics and you've you've got to beat beat a team tactically if you can't beat them on strength you know of course SC works have, have basically bought in Lorena Vibas this year and so that's brought them a lot of wins that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have had um and that's part of the reason why they've been so dominant
1: but it also gives the rest of the peloton also a fear that they didn't necessarily have the fear that if it all came back together in one, you know, in a bunch, uh, you know, some of the other teams would be thinking, oh, yeah, we probably have the best sprinter, you know, someone like Norsgaard yeah. um, or Charlotte Cool might be like, oh, yeah, we, uh, you know, we have a very good sprinter among our ranks. But I think now because of them having Lorena Vibas, the t- other teams also can't afford to let it just all come back as to be a bunch kick either. So, you know, it's, the races have got to finish in, uh, you know, in A different way. Reduced groups. Yeah. But in all of those reduced groups, it seems like SD Works have always got the strongest riders in those groups as well. But I
3: don't necessarily think they're always going to win the sprint. I mean, if you look at Gal Wevelgem... Um, it was Megan Jasper at Drab, who was second, Micah van der Down who was third. And of course, if you look deeper into that race, um, there was a crash in the, in the group behind Marlon Rosa who was away leading the race, where Lorena Wiebers basically took out her whole team. And that is probably part of the reason why her or Kopecky weren't on the podium. But, you know, we look yeah, back to the UAE. They took whole
1: team, but they still won
3: that race, though, they, didn't they? Well, they, they, they mean, took out their whole team in the chase group that was about two minutes behind the leader. So that's yeah. that's why, to add some more context... But, you know, when we look at these sprint races, um, you know, De for instance, which we talked about in the last episode, um, Pfeiffer Georgie won, you know, and that was another tactical move by DSM. So other teams are getting closer. Um, Trek-Segafredo, they were close, of course, in Liege-Bastogne-Liege. And we have to remember that they're missing some of their best riders. Or Lizzie Dygden has literally just returned from her her second pregnancy, um, maternity leave. Um, Ellen van Dijk is on maternity leave. They are missing the power of Brodie Chapman, who was absolutely on fire at the beginning of the season after uh, breaking her sacrum. Um, Taylor Wiles, who's usually, you know, a very, very faithful domestique, has only done one race, which she didn't DNF'd in after a bad crash at Ronda Van Drenta. So Trek-Sogafredo are pushing them as well, despite not having their top team there. So... When you watch the races, there is a lot more going on and teams are nearly breaking them and teams are f- finally thinking after we, you know, had this Ronde van Drenta where we were very disappointed that the teams hadn't really stepped up and challenged SD Works. The teams are beginning to challenge them, but I still think there's that this slight lack of focusing on your own tactics and perhaps Trek Segafredo is one of the only teams that is good at focusing on their tactics rather than on
1: what SD Works are doing. Well, we're going to talk a little bit later on, of course, about the the races where they they didn't, where SE Works didn't win, obviously Paris Roubaix being um, uh, being the big one. But um, just to give a a little bit more kind of um, a, applause to Demi Vollering this year because it it has been just a, a standout uh, performance, hasn't it? I mean, we we kind of every year I feel like we say, oh, this has been her breakthrough year. You know, her results are kind of showing it. But I mean. This is where every single time she's lining up on the start line, she is the favourite. And most of the time she has been then uh, proving that that is is rightly so. And it was so interesting. The manner in which she has won, for me, has been so incredible because it is, and it will be down to that, losing that fear of losing, uh, like you said, Orla, because I think last year, seeing when she kind of picked up seconds and thirds, like in uh, Amstel Gold Race, she was making the moves slightly too late so i wonder if as much as it's not having the fear of losing but it's also having a a bit more maturity in terms of kind of tactical nouse um, or whether it's just having stronger legs and believing that you can kind of go longer and earlier and and you know you don't have to make it a drag to the line with uh, someone else in tow i I'm, I'm not sure you know how, which one of those kind of takes over whether it's strength or the- nouse but it's between just fam- they also formidable. have so
2: many <clears throat> credible, believable cards to play and I think Damie and any of the riders can benefit from that massively and and do and I, I had the same thought as you Rose as I was looking through um, Demi's results and thinking hang on a minute I'm sure last year was her breakout year is this year not her breakout year because yeah, what do we yeah. call it when <laughs> she had her breakout year and then it's gone properly stratospheric you know if you look at this time last year, she had just one win at Brabant's Palace, say just, but still, mm-hmm. she had four other podium places and this year, five race wins, two seconds and in only one race that she has done this year, in only one race has she finished away from the top two. You know, that consistency is remarkable. And her teammate, that was her news dad and her teammate Yeah, yeah. Her and her teammate yeah absolutely. But and <laughs> yeah. this goes back to my first point as well. If you look at the winners from that team this year, Demi, Lota Capecchi, Lorena Vivas, Marlon Reiser, You go to any start line and you know any one of those four can win. That's a huge advantage to that team because it's not a potential winner. It's not somebody who on their day might, they're proven winners already this season. So we know they're on fantastic form. It's not just, you know, looking into a crystal ball. Given any given race scenario, any one of those riders could win. And that, for anybody within the team, is a massive advantage. And that's really hard. But again, Lizzie, it goes back to what you're saying. How do you outmaneuver that by concentrating on SD works? You can't
3: really. You can't. You've got to race your own race. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, we'll talk about Paris-Roubaix a little bit more in a moment, but we could so easily have been sat here saying that Demka Marcus was uh, also a uh, 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 big breakthrough talent because yes, she'd won Paris Roubaix because she had a crash um, on the penultimate bend inside the Velodrome, having been in that group, in that breakaway group with the winner, Alison Jackson, all day. Um, and she, I think she caught her wheel she on the yeah, cracked yeah. concrete on the inside of the Velodrome and she hit the floor. And she hadn't had to work much of the day because she'd had a lot of Capecchi behind. Um, so she'd kind of been sitting pretty in that break. Of course, she had to have the strength to get there. I don't know whether she would have uh, out sprinted Alison Jackson, but she could have, you know, basically come away with with the couple from Paris-Roubaix. And then that would have really changed this conversation, Mm. saying that
1: they've got another, you know, monument winning rider in that group. But I mean, they must be so well drilled. I mean, the communication on that team must be so clear about who feels uh, good who's going for we say that but then let's rewind whom. to
2: Strada when we were saying their communication was in the toilet oh true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's,
2: it's always you know we can superimpose whatever narrative we want on the outside because it looks that way but actually that was a that was a sign that they are also human run by humans you know which is quite encouraging really but
3: still the one to <laughs> I think I think what's clear and what's been clear for years with this team is that they they have strong riders. They always have the strong riders and they always have numbers and they are very good tactically and they stick to their tactics. Um, and of course, Danny Stam has been the leader of that team for years. And of course, they've got, you know, they've been bolstered with Anna van Brecken, who is coaching Demi Vollering as well now. Um, and they, they they choose their tactic. They stick to their tactic, and if the race changes, they're very, they're very, very good tactically. And I think that it was clear early in this spring when other other teams basically seemed to be letting SD Works walk all over them, i.e., not trying anything else. That other teams simply aren't as strong tactically. Um, and I think that that's their, along with having riders and you know strong riders and numbers. I think tactics are some of their having the tactics and understanding them and the riders knowing what to do out on the road I think that's one of their biggest advantages
0: The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport Science in Sport fueled by science
1: Thank you very much to Science in Sport sponsors of The Cycling Podcast and we're not the only thing that they sponsor of course this week marks the return of the Science in Sport Tour de Lunsa in Sierra Leone I took a little bit of a look at the story of that race. It was first organised back in 2013 just to give local riders around the town of Lundsert something to compete in, but it has grown phenomenally since. It has quickly become the biggest race in Sierra Leone, featuring a four-day men's stage race, a junior race, and most importantly for Cycling Podcast Feminine listeners, of course, a women's race too. In fact, former winner of the women's race, Deborah Conte, even caught the eye of the Canyon SRAM Generation Squad, that's their development squad, and signed with them last year. Since then, she has set up her own squad called Ubuntu back in Sierra Leone, a new team which is also the first ever all-female cycling squad in the country. The Sciences Sport Tour de Lunsa runs from the 26th to the 30th of April and I urge everyone to seek out some of the photos to come out of the previous editions. The crowds are ginormous and they look like they are absolutely loving it. So it is such a joy to see so many people out on the roads relishing bike racing and just sharing their passion for it too. If you want to find out more about that race or want to buy some sport nutrition products, then head
6: to scienceinsport.com.
1: Well, we mentioned a bit earlier, of course, Paru Bay, which was uh, one of the only races where SD Works didn't have their way. And Lizzie, you were on the ground at Paru Bay, And I mean, that is the best race to be a spectator at. Tell us about, you know, how did you enjoy being a spectator at that race? Oh,
3: it was such a long time since I'd been to a race. I think it just reignited my passion for racing at a time when I personally was, you know, hacking away with hacking away with uh training that didn't really seem to be going anywhere um and the atmosphere is just like nothing else we were cobble hopping we very nearly didn't make the finish on the first day so we decided on the second day that we were going to you know play it safe and we definitely make the finish and we had two hours to get from the Arenberg forest to the velodrome and again we very nearly didn't make the finish so um our day was almost as exciting as the races um, but no, it was an amazing race to to be on the ground out. Just electric atmosphere like no other. And amazing to see the support for the women out there and how it's growing year on year as well.
1: What I loved also just sitting at home uh, watching it um, is seeing Alison Jackson uh, winning and Coming Across the Line. Obviously your teammate, Lizzie. And then, uh, you know, watching the celebrations and then seeing you, Lizzie, <laughs> running in totally potty-mouthed uh, on, uh, on the international um, broadcast. Uh, swearing, uh, hugging, and I did see that you had your um, recorder in hand, and I was thinking, I really hope that Lizzie is recording this. Really, I really hope that she remembered to press record before the finish, because it was just uh, phenomenal seeing you uh, manage to get over there in the velodrome and give Alison Jackson a hug, and well, basically scream in her face. Lizzie is what I thought you were going for.
3: You know, it's funny. <laughs> I was, I was on the. I was inside inside the middle of the velodrome where all the media are and I was on the side where they come in. So they come in and they do a, a lap and a half um, and you don't quite know whether when they come in, they're actually going to be together or not because the gap between the break and the peloton was so, so, so small and um, so I, and there's also a bit of a delay. So I thought, okay, when they arrive, are they actually going to be together? Are they going to have been caught And they came in and Marta Lach came in first wheel. Alison Jackson came in second wheel. And I just went absolutely berserk. I ran to the other side of the track. I started screaming, oh, my goodness, she's going to win. She's
1: going to win. I think my husband was there and I was saying, take a photo, take a photo. Yeah, I did wonder. Yeah, when I was listening back to your audio files, I did hear take a photo. I was thinking, what is
3: that? Because I I, liked, no I was sense. just
1: convinced she was going to win. I thought, well, out of this
3: group, she's she's the strongest sprinter. Of course, she's been doing a lot of work. Um, and then so I'd run back to the other side of the track for when they came around. They had one more lap to go. And then I, you, you just heard this massive um, sort of, you know, noise of wheels and body on the tarmac. And we couldn't actually see that Femke Marcus had crashed at the time because you were inside and there was the, the kind of the presentation barrier in the way. Um, so I didn't know what had happened but then I saw this flash of pink come around uh, and AJ, Alison Jackson started her sprint and yeah, I rode across the line first and I just started running around the velodrome try, try, trying to get over to her but um, yeah, it was just you know, it's an experience to go there but then to be into the centre and then to watch your teammate winning, it was ah, it's not something that's ever going to happen
1: again probably well, let's have a, a listen to uh, Lizzie's Day uh, at Parry roubaix
3: Grace Brown, FDJ Suez. Yeah, I don't think it's um, possible to have any expectation about how paris Bay is going to pan out, but, um, yeah, I know from last year uh, that it's all about having the least bad luck that you can have, um, and obviously you need to be strong on the cobbles, but I think you just have to keep fighting, and um, hopefully I can find myself there in the last hard cobble sectors and see if I have an opportunity to make a difference somewhere. This race with a headwind today is made for a time trialist like you, so good luck race. <laughs> Thanks very much Lucy. Franzi Koch, Team DSM. What about getting ahead of the race because it does look like there's going to be a bit of a headwind today but we've also seen that SD Works have been infallible this season, and somehow the teams need to break them. What can you do to get ahead of them, to break them, and to to get on that first step of the podium?
4: Yeah, I would say taking action. Um, always, if uh, someone attacks and you have to react, you are like one step behind. So yeah, taking action yourself uh, can get you into this position.
3: Elise Shabé, Canyon-SRAM Racing. And how do you get ahead of SD Works? Yeah, that would
4: be tricky, but uh, I think we have to try, like, uh, with more than numbers. Then with, like, uh, yeah, I think for sure they are really strong at the moment. So, yeah, we need to play
3: our cards and, yeah, try, try things for sure.
0: I need to catch this, but yeah. so we can't go yeah. there. Watch my
5: teammate. Go AJ! On. AJ! <laughs> AJ! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You're the queen! We said, we said. We're <laughs> Oh no!
3: Uh, AJ just won Rube! <laughs> and you just jumped the barriers? I just jumped the barriers, I'm in the team, too. So whatever. That's oh, not bad. It's oh my God. Go on. Tim. Tim. Yeah, Tim, you Tim. just won Rube. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad then. <laughs> I've never heard you and AJ both speechless.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still speechless. But no, I mean, it was yeah, unbelievable ride. We, we sort of thought we'd try and get somebody in the early break and sometimes it stays away but I didn't honestly didn't but don't tell I didn't think yeah I mean, it was so 10 seconds 10 seconds 10 seconds yeah. 10 seconds 9, On 12 sector 2 I mean it yeah. was in
3: sector 2 I actually wrote in my notes break had been caught yeah. and deleted and, it yeah
7: unbelievably so uh, yeah Oh,
3: I mean I spoke with AJ before the race and I said exactly yeah. this got to go away got to yeah. get ahead of the race yeah. and I like, we, she just did exactly the same thing yeah.
7: that what we were speaking about yeah, it was so perfect she was so strong I mean really for, it was. she kept that break away most of the time as well as yeah. she saw most of the sectors she was trying I just wanted for her to be able to get to the stadium and you're sprinting for the win and in front of the other ones because then you're lost so I said this work because whatever you do at the end of the day you can sprint uh, so yeah
3: Incredible. I was worried she was doing too much on the front. No, no, no. I said that finally
7: she had to because we didn't have anybody coming up from behind. So other people had riders in behind, so yeah, she had to. Uh, But
0: yeah, Uh, amazing. Yeah, I'm shocked. Incredible.
1: (laughs) Well, I should say thank you very much to uh, our producer Will for uh, slicing around uh, the sweary bits um, in that recording of Lizzie Race. (laughs) Watching the videos, but it was a it was a great listen, Lizzie, because it's just so great to hear like the enthusiasm and the atmosphere and uh, the adrenaline um, going. And then obviously, you know, getting to hear the inside line from Tim Harris, who is your um, uh, DS as well, um, about uh, this remarkable um, a non SD Works win, uh, which is is fantastic. But it was interesting, Lizzie, also. You know, you're talking uh, at the beginning there uh, to a few other riders and asking them the question, you know, how do you beat SD Works? Uh, And a lot of them, their answer was, you know, get more numbers or get ahead of them. And obviously that's much easier said than done, isn't it?
3: Yeah, a race like paris Bay is one of the only races where getting ahead very early can pay off big time. And, and, you know, that's really one of the tactics that you do want to do. And clearly that did pay off today and everybody everybody knew that and most teams put a really strong rider up there I was actually, you know, I'm going to go back to Works, but I was actually really impressed with Lota Capecchi, I spoke to her after the finish and um, you can hear that on the the uh, Paris-Roubaix podcast Um, and you know, a lot of people probably would have expected her to maybe try and make it across and go for her own chance, she won the sprint from the group behind Um, and she was very much of the mindset, well I had Femke Marcus up there, you know I wasn't going to move. I'm not going to chase. I'm not going to do anything. Um, and I just, you know, I, I really I really had a fondness for lotta Capecchi after speaking to her in the velodrome af- after the race. You know, also she was absolutely freezing cold. Her lips were nearly blue. Um, she'd gone onto the podium to take the Women's World Tour jersey and she still had the time to speak to me um, and give me a really interesting interview. So, uh, yeah, just uh, going back to some more Estee works love here, actually. Sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, but I mean, Orla, it's a great example of, of trying, you know, SC Works still may have the strongest riders, but there are ways of, of manoeuvring around them, aren't there?
2: Yeah, and do you know what I loved about this more than anything? And I, and I said this in our post coverage on, on um, the breakaway as well, just how much of a life lesson this is, you know, and, and we love to use sport as a lesson to people and to take something from sporting victories or sporting defeats that we can apply to our own lives. And the fact that Alison defied really racing convention in so many ways to be able to take that win to me uh. gave me a feeling in the in my gut that was so deep and strong. I just I was screaming for her because, you know, never having been a racer, right, I come to road cycling and ask the same questions as everybody else that you you know, when you're watching from home and you've never actually ridden in a race, which is okay, there's a breakaway. Why do you bother going in the breakaway? It's only going to get caught. That's one. Secondly, why is a breakaway always caught though? Why can't they stay away? That's two. Uh, if you're on the front of the breakaway and you're about to get caught, why are you allowing yourself to get caught? Stop pissing around, dicking around. Why is nobody trying to push on on the off chance or in any chance that you might win? That's another. If you're the one pushing at the front, you're not going to have the energy for the sprint. All of those she just took the rule book and ripped it up and threw it in our face. She's like, "No, uh, I'm going to do it this way, and we'll see. We'll see if you're right or if I'm right, and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way." And I loved that she won like that. I absolutely loved it. And I also loved um I ended up having um bitterballen with um Alison Jackson in Amsterdam the Sunday after that. So she'd been racing. What was the what was the week after Pyro Bay? I've forgotten already. Anyway, um And she was going through Amsterdam to go off to Pan American Championships and myself and my friend took her out for a bite to eat. And she was saying how, first of all, she was overwhelmed by how many people in the peloton were messaging her congratulations and saying like they were genuinely delighted for her. But I also loved how she said that she sent a message to Cassia and to Marta, who'd finished second and third and said to them, I really hope you're proud of yourselves. I hope you're enjoying this and you're taking all of this in because what we've done, what you've done is incredibly special. And I felt quite emotional when she said that. I thought, wow, like you're in the biggest moment of your life, the biggest moment of of your career. What you've done has really made an impact in the last week. And yet you're taking the time to make sure that the other two in the podium are also taking their share of this magnificence, which was just a brilliant thing. And we had this whole conversation about how we know in our hearts that visibility can make a difference and that it matters, but until you actually live it and see it, you can't be entirely certain. And the way that she won and the attention that she's gotten and the little girls who've approached her, you know, and, and waiting outside her bus now to get pictures and to get selfies and everything, just is evidence of, of what we say that these things do matter. And, and for all of those reasons and so many more, her win was just absolutely delightful. It's delightful. It feels like they're the ones that will stand out ST works wonderful for all their dominance it would have been a happy podium, I guess you know but this was one that was that was truly truly special in a in a global sporting sense and
1: yeah it couldn't have gone to a better person really could it yeah it was a fantastic win but also I think it kind of marked a sea change in terms of attitude in the peloton that oh you know what SE works don't have to just come in and uh, and win this we can you know work in another way we can kind of club together because a lot of a lot of the fact that The reason that Alison Jackson won there was because there was a bit more allyship in that breakaway between the teams um, that they were, not everyone, I mean, admittedly, not everyone was working in that breakaway, were then. Alison Jackson was certainly doing a lion's share there, but um, there was definitely a sense of, you know, if we want to beat them, we're going to have to work together. I think that that has, I don't know whether it's a confidence thing in the peloton um, since then, or whether it's just, you know, people trying to think, Uh, outside the box or whether it's as the season's going on, you know, there's been fewer opportunities to get the win. So, you know, riders are taking more risks or, you know, doing things that are more daring. But I did think that that Paris-Roubaix win in such a spectacular fashion then did kind of change the face. Well, I mean, it didn't really change the results at the end of it, but... You know, taking the, the way in which the races were raced, Lizzie, what did you kind of reckon to, reckon to that? Whether that was a confidence thing or a tactical thing?
3: I felt like it was a bit of a reaction to to Ronda van Vlaanderen and there were so many teams that were really disappointed with that and who were just immediately mm. out of, um, you know, any kind of race possibility, you know, any possibility of any race result after the Koppenberg. Um, and I also think that, you know, Parry roubaix incites that kind of racing. Um, everybody knows that there is a chance in this race and that anything can happen Um, and basically no team really ends up with numbers because people crash (laughs) and so if you've got somebody ahead it's always going to help but um, yeah for me for me it was a very poignant moment Um, I definitely I definitely needed the inspiration that Elsa
1: Jackson gave me I'm so glad I love that well, Paris, it wasn't the only race that ST Works uh didn't win, but certainly in this uh last month since we last uh all spoke, um it was the only big uh classic that um they didn't win. But also uh Brabant's appeal. I mean that's that's a smaller race, but we saw a win for Sylvia Persico there. And that was actually uh one of the only examples where Sil- where someone beat Demi Vollering. Demi Vollering was uh, pushed into second uh place there, wasn't she? Um, a remarkable f- performance from Sylvia Persico, someone who uh, we kind of first saw at the Tour de France Femme uh, last year uh, make her, uh, well, talking about breakthroughs every single year, aren't we? But um, she really did kind of uh, appear on the scene there at the Tour de France uh, Femme. But she kind of outgunned Demi Vollering there, didn't she, of That was actually like a, a mano or mano, or as Lizzie would say, womano, uh, womano. Um, victory for Persico over Vollering yeah I think what's really good about that is it gives a bit of hope doesn't it
2: it shows that Damie can be beaten and that really matters even if we have you know the next five races that Damie takes the start line of Um, but gets gets herself into a race-winning position and wins. The important thing is that other teams and other riders know that she can be beaten because that affects the dynamics of a race, doesn't it? It means that you keep fighting because you know that can happen. And certainly for Persico and UAE, they've got personal experience of that. Um, What's interesting as well, I think, with ST Works is the races in which they have been beaten, they've not been beaten by any one particular rider or any one particular team. So they don't have a stranglehold on the whole peloton, or the other way to look at it, I guess, is that no other one team has managed to crack them as yet. Um, but they're there and thereabouts, you know, and they know that different kinds of riders can beat an SD Works rider on the day. And maybe I'm trying to take some sol- some solace from that because I want to believe that they're entirely beatable moving into the next part of the season.
3: No, no, I think I can. I think you're completely right. I think you're completely right. Good, good. Mm. You know, I was thinking back to 2017 when Anna Van der Brecken took the triple crown in the Ardennes, um, and every single one of those races, all three races, it was Anna Van der Brecken in first place, uh, Lizzie dagland in second place, and Kashi Niewiadoma in third place. And in every single one of those races, the the move went away in the same way. The three of them went away on a climb. Uh, then Esti, or oh, well, it was Bolz Domans at the time. Uh, they won two. Van der Brecken went away. Lizzie dagland then won the sprint. Cashier came third on the on the podium. And so, you know, that was the the only other time that a woman has won the Triple Crown. And this was so different. The riders on the podium behind Demi Vollering were different each time. The manner in which each race was won was different each time. And the peloton was, all of the other teams were really going for it. And I think now moving into stage race season, we will see different things happening. There are so many different dynamics. There are time trials. There's a time trial in the Vuelta Espana as well. Um, we will see if Annemiek van Vleuten's form is not as good as it was or if it's just been more transferred to to sort of pure climbing power and time-trialling power, and that will be really interesting. Um, I think the thing that will change the the larger stage races like the Vuelta the Giro and the Tour de France is the fact that the teams have seven riders, and that is an advantage to ST Works because, as I first said when this was announced, the stronger riders are going to get stronger. Uh, the stronger teams are going to get stronger and it's not going to benefit the weak teams as much. But I do think we're going to see a little bit of a, uh, a shift in, in these races as you know, riders like Paulina Royacas, you know, they don't really get a chance in these classics races and they will get a chance in, in, in the kind of races like Itzulia and the Vuelta. So um, there is hope for the other teams. Don't give up. <laughs>
1: Woo! Well, we, I think we should also say, I mean, you know, I was just talking about Sylvia Persico there winning Brabant's Appeal and, and out sprinting Demi Vollering there. Um, and, you know, the fact that she kind of uh, appeared, you know, not out of nowhere, but it, I mean, she only became uh, visible to everybody at the Tour de France fam. So, you know, there is that idea that we don't actually know who are going to be the stars that are going to appear yep. um, in the stage racing season. Um, I mean, I think, you know, obviously we've always known how powerful Marlon Royce is. Um, is, but, you know, we can't say that it it wasn't a surprise when she won that Tour de France uh, stage last year, you know, we knew she was great at time trialling and, yeah, incredibly strong rider and, you know, if she got away she could probably keep away, but I think that there is a difference between knowing someone is capable of it and seeing them actually take the win and, you know, put it all together and, you know, there's a um, definitely a psychological aspect to that uh, as well of of believing that you, you can win, so I think um you know we don't know uh you know how well everybody's form is of the riders that we we put as favorites um now but we also don't know what riders are going to you know emerge um really make their breakthrough 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 that's all we've been um saying this month but uh well that's a perfect kind of jumping off point because uh the stage racing is uh, upon us of course we've got the Vuelta now uh, has moved in the calendar um, so we kind of get into the uh, important uh, stage racing action uh, almost immediately. And of course, we will be missing um, not having the women's tour on the calendar. Um, you know, fair to say that it's, it's always been an important uh, race um, for the podcast. Um, I know it was an important race um, to Richard as well. And uh, we just hope to see that uh, race come back uh, next year. But there's uh, plenty of other stage racing to come. Um, so oh, well, that's where I'm going to bid you adieu both of you and uh, we're going to be changing out of these kind of muddy wet uh, northern European conditions and we're going to be Into putting the on our sunnies <laughs> getting the bikinis on next month in the summer. the, the sombrero glass of sangria
2: that's what I'm going to have I'll have an ice cream a 99 with chocolate sprinkles that'll be my rider oh you're very um, like Margate <laughs> Orla. <laughs> You know, we have ice creams in other parts of the world as well, Rose. <laughs> you know, like Italy or... I, know, but I just love that, you know, we kind of like, uh, you know, talk about sangria and all these like... Listen, uh... yes, I keep it old school. I keep it real. Never mind your your funny, fancy, sugary cocktails. I just want a flake and my ice cream, a pair of flip-flops and I'm
1: happy. <laughs> Get the 99 flake. We're going to go to the seaside. I like that. Uh, so... Thank you very much, uh, Lizzie Banks. And Lizzie, actually, we're going to be, you're going to be, me and Ola are taking a trip to the seaside, but we are, fingers crossed, you're going to be back racing. You're going to be actually doing some... uh... Yeah,
3: I'm actually going to my first race in God knows how long. Uh, I'll be off to the US to race Joe Martin stage race um, on the 18th of May. So three weeks time. Ah, hope you enjoy (laughs) it. Thank you. So excited! Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I um, I've definitely, obviously, still got a lot of fitness to get back, but you've got to start somewhere. And just having that goal again and being back with the team, I just can't wait. Wow,
1: right. so exactly. What a thrill that's going to be! And we can't, we absolutely can't wait. We wish you all the best of luck, um, Lizzie, for getting back out there and getting back racing. And I can't, cannot wait.
3: You to, just can't wait to because hear what if about I can't, it. You
1: know, you can't wait because I'm not going to have to come on
3: the podcast. I'm actually with you terrified
2: anymore. I guess that's what you're going to say. <laughs> No, no. Sorry. <laughs> sorry.
3: We stuck with you when you couldn't race. <laughs> no, don't worry. Don't worry. The race the race finishes on the Sunday and unfortunately for you, um, I'm free again from, the, from when Perfect. the next podcast you out. So that's what I like to hear. We leave it one more month. What
1: well, crushing news for us. Uh and all of the listeners are gonna be totally <laughs> crushed to hear that you'll be joining us again, Lizzie. Hey. Now, thank goodness we're not um losing you from our uh our little team but we you know we are we're like uh mother birds aren't we all are like watching our little one fly the nest, jump out of the nest
2: but it's like I always say to my daughter as long as you enjoy it as long as you're fun that's the main thing and that sounds ridiculous to say to a professional athlete but I know that the journey you've been on has been so hard <laughs> I genuinely hope you just have fun that you're able to enjoy it again and get that feeling back again because that's that's what it's about really isn't it
3: Thank you. I think it's going to be type two fun, but uh, <laughs> but I, I am looking yeah. forward to it and I'm a big lover of type two fun, so that's fine. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: <laughs> and uh, thank you very much, Orla, and uh, looking forward to us all being back together again next month. Indeed. Thank you both. See you next time.
7: The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burney.